I think the DS Fat is the best console they ever made. All right, welcome to the TDS Tech Down South podcast. Why am I saying podcast? You know it's a podcast. But anyway, beyond that, I'm Matthew Wilson. Good to see you. And I'm Lindsay Bogan II. And we have some follow-up. Oh, yeah. Almost immediately after our recording session for our second episode on Nintendo and what they've been through, they decide to release their quarterly results. And along with that, some new information came out, um, such as 3DS faceplates missing. Because remember how we were talking about uh, how we only getting the new 3DS XL in uh, America, where everywhere else they have the new 3DS and the new 3DS XL? Yeah. Well, basically, it seems like they didn't want to release it because it and the new 3DS XL are too similar. Sounds like they want to uh, basically make the 2DS without 3D, a super cheap version of their game system. A regular 3DS is a, yeah, it's better than 2DS. It has 3D, it's a clamshell, it's bigger. And then the new 3DS XL is not just anymore for those who want a bigger console, but if anyone wants the biggest and the best console, because it'll be faster, better 3D, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the advantages of the new systems. Which I think is fine. Uh, I just think that I think they should just stop selling the regular 3DS altogether. Just bring in the new 3DS. Like there's no need to have the split SKUs, uh, and then it'll make it easier for developers because they know that the install base uh, with having the hard the extra hardware in terms of getting the extra buttons and the C stick that are available on the new version of the systems would make it easier for their lives. So yeah, I see. I agree with you. Because, obviously, I think they need that to be the same. I see what they're doing, right? You know, they're like, okay, well, here's... Each step brings you up to it more and more stuff. But the thing is, you are locking in... It's not just, uh, oh, it's better 3D. Like, if it was just, let's say, bigger and better 3D, I'd be more okay with this. But the thing is, you're saying some games are going to use Amiibo, some games need that faster processor, some games need that C-Stick, and then they can only... Out of three consoles, which they are selling simultaneously, saying, you know, pick whatever you kind of feel like. Oh, sorry, you can't play these games, which is also going to make people develop less things for it. Because there are going to be new 3DS exclusive games. There's already two confirmed. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3D and I believe a Monster Hunter. Oh, really? Um, I thought and no, the Monster be... Hunter just has extra features for the new 3DS. That's my understanding. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's true then. Uh, I didn't pay too much attention to that part. But I know Xenoblade Chronicles 3D will be the new 3DS exclusive. And, yeah. I mean, is it going to be the only one? Because, I mean, if expect, I mean, I guess in all, all the other regions, they still have, uh, they all still have a uh, customer base to sell to. But here in America, I mean, it's going to be smaller. It's It's not a good decision. No. No. Uh, and even though there are going to be higher sales, you know, Nintendo's already sold a third of a million of these things. So it's not like they're not selling. And the majority of people that did buy the new 3DS are going to know that they're, that Xenoblade Chronicles 3D is coming. But still, why artificially limit your base? Just go ahead and drop the regular 3DS, have the new 3DS, uh, switch up your price points a little bit, and then just make it clear to consumers, hey, this is going to be the future of the 3DS for a while. So don't worry about this old system. Just go with a new thing. Something else that was discussed that Iwata uh, brought up at the end of the uh, investors' talk was uh, what they were going to talk about in a year from now. And something he said that will be talked about next year is the quality of life uh, platform or the third pillar of Nintendo's future, as they have uh, hinted at a couple times uh, for the past year, year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Um so, I don't know, does this mean we're going to get some quality of life uh, merch from uh, Nintendo within this year? I think they're not just going to talk about it beforehand at an investors meeting. I feel this means probably by January next year, we'll have details on what their plans are moving forward in that sector, whatever that means. I've never quite understood how exactly they want to enter this market. Because they're saying it's not going to be like a game system. Like They're not going to make a game system that 
tries to make you healthy. They So it seems like it's going to be an independent quality of life tech, but at the same time, they're going to integrate their game of basically gamification they're going to integrate their characters their ip and their uh their uh knowledge as making game as their knowledge as game developers to uh apply to this quality of life device so it's going to be ips of nintendo and yet completely independent quality of life hardware so i'm like what is it going to be like a Mario, uh, like an animated Mario on your smartphone that's basically telling you to eat healthier? I don't know. The only thing I'm getting a vibe for is, uh, I don't know if you remember the Vitality Sensor that Nintendo announced a few years ago. <laughs> You're just getting a Vitality Sensor. I totally, with like, I totally forgot about that. That's what I'm thinking. It's like, hey, you all remember the Vitality Sensor? Well, we thought about it for another five years and we decided to just do that again. I said, now it's okay. <laughs> so... Please pick it up. They, we can make money. They never released that, did they? No. Why would they? There was no no use for that thing. It was useless. Well, I'm, I'm not saying they should have, but I mean they've released so many uh, accessories that they shouldn't have released. So I mean I'm almost surprised that they somehow did stop themselves from making it. Yeah, really. Although well, more the single use, I think. So. Yeah, uh, the single use I think that would have been cool for it though would be like a Luigi's Mansion game. That would have been cool. But who wants to have that thing strapped to their finger the whole time they're playing? I'd be like, this is annoying, man. Just take it off and play the game normally. I mean, well, maybe yes. I, I did on my wrist and less, in, less intrusive than I would do that. But otherwise, you know, if it disrupts me holding the controller and enjoying the game, then I'm not going to do it. Yes, well, I didn't say they should release it or that it have any other good use. But a Luigi's game, which kind of knew when to instead of just automatically every single time you play the game it releases a ghost jump scare right here like if it could just kind of meld that more to you that would be cool but like you said the vitality sensor itself not a good idea no 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 way no way so you've uh had the new 3ds now oh yeah yeah i'm actually holding it right now put a nice uh little Samus slash Metroid themed sticker on the front of it. I'm generally not a guy that likes putting stickers on electronics, uh, but I had some extra Metroid stickers that I needed to use. I ended up getting the black one. That was the only one they had in stock, and I wanted to get one as soon as possible, only for them to call me two days later and say, hey, we have the red one in. So that's proof that you should always be patient and wait. But yeah. even still, it's it's pretty nice hardware. Uh I don't think it looks as good as the DS Lite did. That's still Nintendo's best-looking console, in my opinion. So, you, like, if you're looking at it from the side, you can still look through and see the buttons and things like that. But oh, outside of yeah. that, it's it's a pretty nice kit. It's glossy on the outside, so it's going to show your fingerprints for sure. But when you open it up, unlike the uh, Wii U controllers, it's a matte uh, finish. So you're not going to have that issue on the inside with the buttons and things like that. The C-Stick is is nice. Um, it's kind of like the IBM ThinkPad, a little mouse nub, just right above the X and Y buttons. And sometimes I've accidentally pressed it thinking it was a button. Um, and I know Yeah, I've heard that it doesn't actually move. No, it doesn't move. It just understands which direction you're kind of nudging it in. It's pretty sensitive. It's nice. It's pretty helpful. It's not... Like, I tried playing Smash with it, using it as a C-stick like I would on a cube controller. It doesn't really work like that, maybe for down smashes. Um, hmm. But certainly for uh, Ocarina of Time, or sorry, not Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, uh, it's helpful for camera navigation and things like that. The 3D is phenomenally better. Like, now I actually do play with 3D on, because I don't have to keep my head locked in this perfect position and stay in this rigid form. It really does track your face. It really does make the 3D... One of the key features of the console, again, uh, it really is nice. And me coming from a regular 3DS to the XL, you know, I'm still getting used to the bigger screens, too. But overall, it's a really nice piece of kit. The only gripe I would have with it at this point, um, I would just say it's kind of obnoxious that you can't access the SD card slot because it's micro SD mm-hmm. now. And uh, you'd have to unscrew the back panel to access that which is a little bit ridiculous in my opinion. Uh, Nintendo just can't seem to get everything right on one console, except for the DS Lite. Um, But uh, it's nice. It's nice. The extra ZL and ZR buttons, 
they're easy to access. They're kind of in like they were for the original classic controller for the Wii, where they're interior to the L and R buttons. So they're fine. Nice and clicky. The buttons are good. They've got the European Super NES coloration. So red A, yellow B, blue X, green Y. That is nice for them, but ultimately means nothing for me because in the U.S., we had, you know, the light purple, dark purple type thing. I've always liked their coloration, though. It just seems weird to me. Like, A shouldn't be red. A should be green. You know, I'm, I'm used to the cube layout. So A should be green. B should be red. X and Y, I don't really care what color they are. I mean, it almost looks Dreamcast-like to me. Yeah. But A few questions. So, so the 3D works really well? Yes. Yeah, 3D is nice. It's very so nice. So, like, I mean... Like, so if you take it and just like turn left and right, like, I mean, I assume there's some sort of maybe like a slight, like maybe a flicker or something that doesn't look right for a second. Or is it just like almost perfect? I mean, you can see it recalibrating a little bit, but it by no stretch of the imagination is like, all right, let me take the next five minutes to figure out where your head is now. It's it's pretty, pretty quick in terms of recalibrating. I certainly don't get the feeling that it could be much faster than what it is right now at this point. Yeah, uh, I've heard mostly good things about that. Um, and then uh, the ZR, the extra uh, Z buttons, the uh, L and R, ZR, ZL. Um, is there any game out right now that like supports it? Like, does Smash like? Can you do like the uh, standard uh, like you would on an actual console with like the rolling and then shielding and grabbing? Does it work like that or? Is well, there, like my my grab is that they did update smash for the new 3ds you know i'm actually looking at it right now so i can take a look at the 3ds like i can see zr for amiibo uh so that's in there but last i checked i couldn't say customize what i wanted the zr or zl buttons to do um the default control scheme is that r is shield and l is grab and so they made Mm. the now zr grabs and zl shield so you can have both in control of one finger um, mm-hmm. so this version looks a little bit more updated than the last time I took a look at it. So I'll see if I can customize the controls now. Um, yeah, I'm seeing a new amiibo icon here. I still need to get one. I need to, need to get my act. Samus. Why in the world have you not bought Samus yet? There's something wrong with you because I'm lame because I'm lame. Yeah. So um, I still can't customize ZL and ZR on here yet. Uh-huh. But even still, it's nice. Yeah. And then finally. I do have a gripe with the DS Lite. I hate GBA carts sticking out like that. Yeah, that that sucks. But it wasn't that wasn't its primary purpose, you know. So I can't be mad at it for making it, giving me the opportunity to play Metroid Fusion and Dear Mission and all the GBA games that I had. So yeah, that was one thing. But I appreciated the smaller size when I wasn't playing a Game Boy Advance game. That's for sure. I still think that console looked the best. Uh, it was the first 3D, the first DS where you could control the brightness levels. That was awesome. Uh, that I, was nice. The stylus was in the best place possible. It was under your right hand, so you could just slide your right hand that, slide your right hand out and pull it out with like your middle finger, and it was perfect. It's the fastest you've ever been able to access a stylus. It's in a pretty good spot on the new 3DS XL. You can kind of slide your hand down and grab it with your middle finger on the way down, but it still doesn't mm-hmm. do the DS Lite. That's still the yeah. console to beat, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. If you're interested in upgrading your 3DS or getting a new one, now would be the time. Get the new 3DS XL. Highly recommended. Until they come out with the new 3DS XL I. The new 3DS XL I plus Mega Super version that comes with a you. C stick that you actually can't even access because it's like in the back in the middle. It uses a new proprietary uh, Sony SD XD card slot that is only available on your computer that you then set your 3DS XL plus Mega Super on top of to access data. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. And you won't have access to anything you previously purchased in typical Nintendo fashion. So Nope coming out for quality of life it increases stress levels so that way you know you're healthy (laughs) so uh to uh follow up on our original episode uh something else that came out uh maybe a week after all the crazy apple is the richest group ever to ever exist ever um they hit 
700 billion market value. What that means is they have $100. They're worth $100 for every woman, man, and child on the entire face of the world, everywhere. $100 for each one. That, that I can't even imagine that. That's beyond comprehensible. Well, what it means is that I need to build my time machine and tell my parents, hey, psst, in, invest in Apple. So that way you never have to work another day in your lives after like 2007. But unfortunately, my time machine is not ready yet. Oh, I don't even like because they. I know they were like back, you know, if if you wouldn't want to buy them right when they came out, I don't think you'd want to buy them right as they were crashing right before they bought Steve Jobs. And I think it was down to like dollars, like literally you could have bought like, you know, hundreds of stocks because it's just like dollars. Oh, man. The thing is, it's like back up to 400 or something, I think. 200 at least, 200, 400, and that's after it got split seven times. So then take all your shares, multiply them by seven, and then multiply them by like anywhere from 200 to 400. You'd be filthy rich. Yeah, it's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. So the question is, when is it going to bust? It has to bust at some point. Um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting the first quarter that Apple doesn't do well. Because it's going to happen sometime. And it doesn't mean that they're going to start dropping. It could just be a single quarter where they just don't perform quite as well. Because it happens to every company. It will happen. But people are going to freak out. It will be the end of the news like for like... Uh, for like a sing- entire month, like yeah. the entire month will just be Apple is dead. Right. Even though at that point they'll probably have like a hundred billion dollars just chilling in the bank. So we'll see. Now there was also, remember I told you about DuckDuckGo a few weeks yes. ago. Have you spent some time with that? What are your thoughts on it? By the way, for those of you that don't know, DuckDuckGo is a web search uh, client. You all know web search is Google, but Google is just one of them. There are other ones. You all may have heard of things like Yahoo or like MSN search. Ha! Huh, just kidding. No one's heard of that. And then DuckDuckGo is also an option. It's available by default on iPhones and you can, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on iOS now. And it is also available as the default search client for Macs as well with the Safari web browser. But yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on it, Matt? Well, okay, so I switched uh, like the Thursday two weeks ago or something like that. So okay. it's been about a week and a half to two weeks, I guess, that I've been uh, with it. And the first thing that it was the hardest thing to get over at first was the look because I am just so used to Google's just, it's super clear, super tight. It's just, I love how Google searches look. They're just very pleasing to the eye. There's very little going on, very little noise. And DuckDuckGo is one of the cleanest out there next to Google, but it's still, it was getting to me because it just like, this is not how I look at information that I don't know. When I'm just searching something in the web, it doesn't look like this. And so that was actually surprisingly the first hurdle I had to get over. It's one of the reasons why I've never tried picking up any other search engine. Uh, One of the reasons is because I just hate to look like Bing like, they're like, oh, look at the backgrounds and all this extra stuff going on on the side and the top. I hate it. Like, just give me a white background with text on it. Make the text kind of small and kind of spaced. Give it room so you can just scan it easily. That's what I want. But I've kind of got used to that with DuckDuckGo. Also, I did customize it. Like, they give you nice customiza- uh, customization options to kind of tweak the looks while still looking uh, kind of with the core look that DuckDuckGo has. So I kind of made it look a bit nicer to me. I made the text a bit smaller. Wait, how did you do um, Wait, never just, mind. I just found it. I didn't even realize this was there. Huh. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, anyway. I have it set as the default. So anytime I type something into the search bar at the top, that just routes me through DuckDuckGo. So I don't even have yeah, it Yeah, me set too. Up. But then, but as soon as I was there, I'm like, I don't like to seeing these results like this. So I went over to the side and changed it. Anyway, um, the second thing, which is, Really, really tough, and I've mostly got over it now, I think, but it still is a bit of a problem. I'm a pro at Google. If you ask my friends, like, seriously, it seems silly, but, like, my, I have a friend who, like, search for something, and he's like, I can't find it. I, there must not be anything on the internet like this, or <laughs> I can't find the information I'm looking for. I literally type in, uh, I type into Google for this, to search the same exact thing he is. It's, like, the first five results. Like, I don't know. I just know how to search for things. If I want to find something out, I know exactly what to say to find it. And literally, I the like, I've had times where I 
searched, I think, for like five minutes, just like typing different things into DuckDuckGo before finally giving up, going to Google, typing something in, first link, it's there. It really is bothering me, the different search results that's coming out. And I looked it up, and it seems like they are getting uh, similar search results fed through the same way Bing does. So um, basically, if you were switching from Bing to DuckDuckGo and typed the same thing in, the results would look basically the same. Whereas Google, you know, uses their own uh, search magic. Right. right. Yeah, they're not going to be able to touch them in terms of sheer just ability of indexing the web. But for the right. most part, you, you'll be okay. And the nice part is that even if you do want to search Google, you can still do that through DuckDuckGo securely. So you can type, you know, really? exclamation point G and then whatever you want to search. And then it'll search through Google, but it'll do it through Google's encrypted service. So that they still can't track what what they're doing. Yeah, so I'll do that. I know about these as well. Here, quick, just just like thirty seconds. Explain those features because I know about them. I haven't used them yet because I just wanted to get used to the uh, browser first. That's going to be like this next two weeks that I'm going to try and start using those. But explain to our listeners in like 20, 30 seconds what that is. Well, it's really the thing that sets DuckDuckGo apart. So the cool thing about it is that you can search other sites specifically through DuckDuckGo. By typing an exclamation point and then any combination of letters, so for example, exclamation point G will search Google's encrypted, exclamation point YI will search like Yahoo Images, exclamation point IGN will search through IGN, exclamation point RT will search Rotten Tomatoes. So you can get to those sites directly just by typing in those shortcuts through DuckDuckGo. And it's very fantastic. It's one of the things I love the most about it. So yeah, it's it cuts out the extra step of having to go to URL, type in Amazon.com, and then search from there. But you can just do exclamation point A, do what you ever want to do to search on Amazon.com, and then have that pop up for you. It's really nice. Yeah, and they've got this insanely long list of different sites that you can search, but they have the most popular sites available at the very top of the page. So it's really easy to figure out uh, and memorize which ones for the sites you go to most often. Yeah, I can't wait to try that. But um, so let's see. Okay, so I said how the look, and then uh, I'm a lot better at searching on Google, but I'm getting better. Uh, beyond that, really, it's fine. I I like I said, it has a pretty clear look, so I like that. It's not it's not doing crazy like oh Knoxville because that's the one thing I hate about Google is it's like always trying to feed me stuff that's near me and stuff like that, and it's so annoying because yeah. it's like I don't want that. I want general. Just the general internet search, not I don't want stuff that's local. Um, and so it lacks all that. And um, the craziest thing, which is not actually DuckDuckGo's feature that I love about it, is since I've upgraded to Yosemite, and I timed this, if occasionally, if I just search in the search bar for and it's trying to pull up Google search, or if I'm typing something in Yahoo, not Yahoo, I'm sorry. And if I'm searching something in YouTube, like it'll just hang and I can't do anything. And if I go to another tab and try YouTube or Google, it won't work. And I literally have to wait for it to time out. It takes an, uh, an hour. It takes a minute and 30 seconds before it finally times out. And next thing I type works. Huh. But before that minute and 30 timeout, I have to do anything but Google or YouTube. That's really weird. I haven't run into that issue at all. Yeah, so and it still happens spotlight? on YouTube. No, no, this, yeah, even in spot, like, if it, once it pulls up, tries to pull up anything from the Google, like, basically, think of it as, like, the URL, Google or YouTube, the stuff that is on Google servers or they're hosting or whatever. Yeah, it just, it time, it can't access it until it times out. Wow. No matter where I, I click the link to, it'll just freak out. So it still happens on you, uh, it's YouTube, but it still happens on YouTube, but I don't have to worry about that every time I'm searching anymore. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm liking DuckDuckGo. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Definitely glad you're enjoying it. Let's see. What do we have next for you? Follow-up took too long. Let's move on to some new stuff. All right. Uh, so, big news. If you have a Lenovo computer, I would burn it instantly. Uh, Lenovo's actually installed spyware on their computers uh, in order to make a couple of extra bucks. Um, so basically, they install something at the root level where any anything that's sent through their computers through the internet, they have access to and can feed, feed that information to uh, ad companies, even if it's secure. So for example, if you do the 
HTTPS, if you're accessing something from your bank, they could still see that information. So massive, massive privacy violation. And the password that they had used uh, to avoid too many techie things uh, that basically kept this program on lock was a dictionary word that was like eight words long that took virtually no time for someone to crack once they realized this. And is on the internet, which means anyone who knows anything and wants to try and access all this all this uh, uh, protected uh, web search for anyone's computer uh, with Lenovo can literally just take it and do it with what they will. Because not only do they not have to hack it back, the key, which would be super easy because it was easy the first time, it's flat out on the internet. I could search right now and find it. And it's so bad. And it's I think it's beyond just it's beyond just viewing what you're doing in your bank. They can interject stuff. They can completely fake out your computer and make your computer think you're viewing your actual bank account, blah, 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 blah. But they could put anything there they wanted. Now, obviously, they were at least claiming just to do stuff with ads, which I, I mostly believe. You know, it's not like they're trying to uh, steal people's identities. That would be even worse fiasco. But the thing is, they, in response to this, they're like, it isn't dangerous. Hey, don't worry. We're just trying to make your, uh, your, uh, we're just trying to make your experience buying things better. Like, and then they finally backpedaled after more and more information came out. And they're like, okay, this is we've re- we've looked into this. This is bad, but don't worry. It isn't that malicious. And they've had to like do four, five different level apologies where they keep putting themselves low and lower. And the final one is just, I'm sorry, I have no words. There's nothing, you know, where, where they put up with something so you can erase it on their, how to erase it on their website. Although I would recommend flat out just reinstalling Windows completely fresh. Yeah. yeah but the thing is, beyond be. the, beyond this happening itself, this is one reason why I think always having Apple will always be better because Apple, you aren't a product. Why people don't like Google, even though they're literally like a fifth of the size of Apple, isn't because they're big because obviously Apple's big. But the thing right. is, Google to Google, they, they're not selling uh, you. They're not selling you search. They're selling you to other people. You're the product. And this shows the same thing. Lenovo. All these hardware people, uh, companies that are making standard uh, Windows PCs, they're selling the low ones at such a low cost that they have to make you a product as well to advertisers. And they, you know, that's why they put all the adware, all the, all the shovel, just you know, all the stupid stuff that uh, gripes up your system whenever you buy it new. They're trying to sell you as a product as well. Apple doesn't do that. They make all their money up front. Yeah. Sure, it's more expensive, but you're buying a product. And that's all your relationship is with them. They're not selling you to anyone. They couldn't care less what you do. I mean, seriously, what other company would make uh, a uh, uh, Apple Pay? You know, it's they don't get any of your information. They're not trying to track what you're buying, where you're buying it. The uh, market, uh, uh, whatever the, um, it's not market exchange. What's the uh, crazy one that's uh, trying to compete with them that Walmart and stuff is building? Remember that? Currency. Currency. They're, they're trying to continue to pull information about what you're buying, how you're buying, why you're buying, where you're buying. They're still using you as a product to try and make money. Apple, nope. All Apple Pay does is connect you securely to your bank. And the reason they do that, your money. and it's important to emphasize this, is that Apple, like any other company, wants to make money. But it's important to realize how they make money. And they make money by selling hardware. So Apple Pay is basically a lock-in system. You're going to say, wow, Apple Pay is very secure and it's super convenient. I want to continue to have these features, so I'm going to continue to buy an iPhone in the future. So that's the rationale behind that. They don't need your personal information. They just want to make it so compelling that you want to buy a new iPhone. So it's important to understand the motivation behind that and why it works well for the type of business that they have. Yeah. So if you have Lenovo, I would recommend buying Mac. But obviously, uh, I've heard some arguments on Twitter where people like, stop with the buy a Mac. And this is from a Mac person, right? This is from someone who loves Apple and writes about Apple. But they're like, guys, everyone's like doing this all high and mighty. You should buy a Mac instead of Lenovo. This is proof. Some people... That, well, their argument was anyone who wants to buy Apple, for the most part, has. And if they're buying those small Lenovo's, cheap Lenovo's, they're not going to want to. And you know what? 
for the most part, that's probably right. And so if you still want Windows, don't buy Lenovo. This is what you do. Go to the Windows Microsoft store. I know no one's going to be there. They're going to act all surprised to you because you're like the only person who ever goes into that store. But go into find a Microsoft store and buy a computer there. Why? Because when it's sold at a Microsoft store, there is no adware. There's no free trials. There's no. N- there's nothing on those computers. It's clean installs of Windows. So you're literally buying the hardware and Windows. So at least it's cleaner than buying it from Lenovo or buy from Dell or HP straight. Microsoft tries to cleans up any computer they sell in their store. So buy your Microsoft stuff there. So, of course, you know that we're going to have a preference to say, hey, you all should get an Apple product. But we really want to emphasize the focus on security here. So really, yes, definitely this try is and dangerous. Uh, and take it to a, a basically Best Buy or something like that, a place that can buy basically buy a new copy of Windows, uh, go to a place that can install it fresh for you. Make sure you back up your data first. Because, uh, yeah, that, that this is something that's very much not cool. Uh, and on a similar subject to that, uh, Samsung has bought Loop, has purchased Loop Pay uh, as their eventual answer to Apple Pay because Samsung, well, we all know about Samsung. They they have to copy Apple. It's it's just their thing. That's their thing. They made that their thing. So fine, whatever you say, Samsung. Uh, so there are some benefits to it. Loop Pay, uh, I believe, uh, really started to take off. I wouldn't say take off, but was founded in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And it was something that was supposed to be built off of the original iPhone as like a little dongle that you would have in an iPhone case uh, and allow you to make contactless payments. You have to put all of your credit card information into the Loop Pay app. Uh, and then that device would mimic a card swipe. So any place that takes credit cards is a place where you could use Loop Pay, which is a huge benefit over uh, Apple Pay, which requires an NFC terminal. Uh, and it also works with loyalty cards. So there are some advantages. The drawbacks that that key fob that you need to use Lupay, uh, it has to be recharged. There's a battery in it. So you run the risk of it dying on you while you're out and about and you don't have your actual cards with you. The hardware wasn't that great. It's another thing you have to keep up with. Um, it doesn't actually increase the security of payments like a like it does with Apple Pay. There's no token system. So you don't have your actual physical cards. There's no chance someone could steal that. So in that sense, that it's it's better. But at the electronic level, it doesn't do anything to increase security. Uh, and there's also no Touch ID authentication with it. So if someone can get into your phone and has that fob, they could you know then have access to all of your payment methods and go on a shopping spree. Right. And so like I mean, especially with that last one where. Like, I assume, like, let's say, you know, not for us, but let's say for a woman, she might have, uh, you know, her key fob and her phone and her wa- and her purse. And so if her purse gets stolen, it's just as bad as it was before. Whereas if you had an iPhone with Apple Pay and that's all you had in your purse for whatever reason, you didn't have your wallet with you, like, they can't, you, they can't use that to purchase because they can't use uh, your thumb. Exactly. If they did grab your thumb, that'd be a problem. And you should go to a hospital. Just saying. Very, very fast. <laughs> you should get to hospital very fast. Um, another drawback of this is that where Apple Pay isn't big now, but in theory in the future, it'll grow bigger as more people activate NFC. Uh, Loop Pay is shrinking because this October, uh, there's going to be requirement that all, all uh, credit card uses have a pin in them. I mean, uh, a chip in them as well to authenticate. So it's going to be like, um, it's not just going to be the magnetic uh, swipe. So that means, now they're still going to obviously, all their old credit cards will work. So Loot Pay will work. The thing is, all the, uh, before, right now, if you go and someone frauds with your card, that's on the, it's on whoever you bought, they bought from. So it's like on Walmart or on uh, any store that it was used at to uh, pay the fraud so you don't, so you're not charged. But starting in October, with the new cards, with the extra security, it'll still be on the uh, store. But the old cards, these old just magnetic swipes, will now be Visa and MasterCards. It'll be up to them to pay all the fraud. And so they're going to put pressure, major, major pressure, to uh, sw- uh, to uh, to stop using cards. the old cards. 
Yeah. And so once the people do, loop pay won't work. Once, uh, once, uh, in theory, eventually loop pay will not work in the current form. And so they kind of just bought a dying tech. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they can still update it. They're, actually, no. Uh, let me see. Apparently, the technology will work with it. It works with the EMV chip-based credit card terminals. But there is a there is a um, cav- caveat because uh, they basically have to do the same thing as Apple then because to, they can emulate the extra chip, security chip. Right. But they have to make the deals with each individual bank, just like Apple is with banks right now. So uh, then yeah, Samsung's going to have to go around and try to make those deals. And sure, it works with Apple pretty well. But how well is it going to work with Samsung? Not very, in my opinion. Especially because Apple's already built up consumer trust with credit cards. Because they've had the iTunes store for so long. I think that they've had that for, what, 12 years now? 13 years now? They launched in right. 2003. Uh, as far as I know, there haven't been any major breaches from them. So I Not think that I know. consumers are, for the most part, pretty comfortable with sharing their credit card information with Apple. Because Apple has shown that thus far... It can keep that information safe. So we'll and they can always say Apple. it's behind your thumbprint. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so far, there haven't been any huge touch ID issues that I've been aware of. As far as I know, it works quite well. Me neither. Uh, but if we do find something out where something happens, you all will be the first to know from us for sure. Yeah. So you were wanting to talk uh, Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah. John Gruber, uh, the author of Daring Fireball, great blog if you haven't heard of it, uh, has a piece on the Apple Watch pricing. And it's important, I think, for people to not look at the Apple Watch like you would an iPod or an iPhone, because I think it's going to be something much more than that. I think you can look at, well, first, there are three editions. There's the the Apple Watch Sport Edition there's the the standard edition, I believe, and then you have the the edition, the Apple Watch, just edition. Uh, the edition the, edition. Yeah, it's the edition edition. And the edition edition is made of gold. So it can't be cheap because gold is expensive. And if the whole thing is made of gold, it will be very expensive. And, you know, it's not like they're making laptops made of gold. You know, this Apple Watch is really a fashion luxury item. It's not about, oh, man, I'm going to want to get another one of these next year. It's more like I have a watch of gold, you know. So this is going to appeal to that part of the watch buying public or really just a luxury market that enjoys having nice things. Uh, and it would be unfair to the Apple Watch and unfair to Apple to then judge that on the same level as something of, uh, what is it, the Moto 360, I believe? Yeah. You know, those, or, or a Pebble. You know, the Apple Watch Edition and the Pebble are as different as a Toyota Camry and a Bentley. You, you just can't compare those two things and say, oh, well, you know, the Toyota Camry gets better gas mileage. There's going to be no crossover between the people that would be interested in buying those two products. Unfortunately, we're going to have stupid people that will make that comparison and the macalope will lay into them as necessary, but uh, it's, it's important to keep those separate. Now, with the sport edition, those comparisons I think will be more apt, and that, that starts at three forty nine. Uh, they'll probably sell some extra watch straps, maybe for thirty to fifty dollars, depending on what they're made out of. Uh, but some of the other bands they announced, like the Milanese strap and the link bracelet, you know, those aren't going to be available. There's going to be some of them that are going to be expensive. Those are going to be expensive, and I don't think they're going to sell those standalone. I think those are just going to come with that higher form of the Apple Watch because then it doesn't look as good. It, it could still maybe look good, but it would be unfair to the person who had bought the higher-end Apple Watch. Yeah, you've got the, the Watch Sport, the Watch Edition, and then just the Apple Watch, the standard one. So it would be unfair to the people to buy the standard Apple Watch uh, to allow the at the people at the lowest rung, the watch sport, to also have access to a link bracelet. You know, it, it mm-hmm. dilutes the value of their purchase. And I think Apple wants to avoid that. And I think that's one of the advantages uh, and the savviness that Apple is getting by hiring Angela Adherence. I can't quite pronounce her last name correctly, but she was hired on an Apple. Is She came from Burberry and Company, I believe. So she she understands how the fashion market works and understands how Apple needs to to sell this, how, how to sell the Apple Watch 
as a luxury product. So I don't think it's going to be what people think it will be in terms of all the pricing models. And honestly, I don't think they're going to sell the Apple Watch edition on their website or in Apple stores. I think you're only going to be able to go to luxury luxury stores to get that. Because if they do, it's going to make those places very, very, very lucrative to criminals who could go in and break, steal this, you know, 18 to 24 karat gold watch and then, you know, maybe grab a few iPhones along the way. Apple Store already is a zone is a place for criminals to go and steal. I mean, I don't know if they need more motivation. I mean, already you see people trying to like throw their, you know, trucks through the windows and stuff. Right. Yeah. Don't don't give those guys any more motivation. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the pricing structure will be like and where these things will be sold. Because I really I think they may have the Apple Watch, the standard edition at Apple stores, but they won't have the edition edition the gold one. I don't think those will be at Apple stores. You'll only be able to go to maybe like K's or maybe even higher end jewelers than that to order it. I don't think they'll list the price on the website because the sticker shock is just going to scare so many people. That's an interesting idea. Cause I mean, at first when, when uh, you said that you didn't think they're going to sell in storm, like, of course they are. Cause I mean, first of all, we've already heard and seen like the tables they are designing to put in Apple stores for them. Uh, we've seen, We've heard reports where basically they're going in and installing special safes just for the Apple Watches in their stores. But I could see them selling only the two versions in the Apple Store because we also do know that they are designing uh, little mini stores that can be put in bigger retailers, kind of like how some Best Buys have a mini Apple Store like that for Apple Watches in luxury stores. And so maybe I, I could see the gold being the only one that's stole, sold outside of the regular Apple store. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What are you feeling on price, maybe? Like, what do you agree with uh, D- uh, Gruber, who keeps freaking out and saying higher and higher numbers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Gold is super expensive. And even if it's not that expensive to make, you have to realize the watches that Apple's competing with at that level. And that's, that's who their competition is at that level. Their competition is analog gold watches. The Apple Watch Edition, the gold one, their competition is not <laughs> the Pebble. You know, that, that's not <laughs> who they're worried about. You know, the people that buy things on uh, Kickstarter are probably not people driving Bentleys. You'll have some nice people right. supporting people's zip car, but we're talking about an entirely different industry here. Entirely different industry. Now- now, something Gruber missed because he was talking in w- one of his articles where uh, he was talking about like how many how expensive gold price is, right? And right. I saw an article where someone broke it down. That was pure gold. See, they've said that the Apple Watch is going to be eighteen karat gold, and so we had someone who estimated like the you know used the same gram estimation that uh, Gruber did when he said like it was going to be like a thousand, like thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred dollars for gold for it alone. And really, with 18 karat, where you know it's not pure gold, it's going to actually be more like 800 to 900 for gold. Now, yes, gold watch is going to be super expensive, and gold is going to be a very big price of the watch itself. But it's not going to be. Is he? I don't think it's going to be expensive as Gruber thinks, but it's going to be very expensive still. I don't know. Let me see. I'm on the Rolex website. Right now, they probably don't even have watch prices listed, but I'll find out. I Let's doubt. see what the Oyster Collection has for us. This watch looks gold. Let's see. So you can add it to wish list. Yeah, it's just going to say find a retailer. Find a retailer. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we're have- talking about like 10000 to $20,000 for watches and probably closer to the upper end of that. I, I don't think it'll be more than 10000 Yeah, I'd have to call to find I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll, it's going to be interesting to watch to watch how that what goes. What I still don't... Y- yes, it will be. Um, what I don't know, though, is something that's been brought up a lot, and I don't have an answer for, because you think Apple Watch, and you, you assume that they're going to iterate on it, and it's going to get longer batteries, because we know the battery's going to be worse than they want it to this first release. They're going to get better batteries, faster... Uh, processors. It's going to maybe eventually get GPS built in so you don't have to use your phone for it. You know, it's going to get features. But if you're buying 
expensive watches. Those are type of things that, you know, grandparents give their grandkids and it stays in the family. Like they're serious pieces of tech, uh, you know, they're fashion pieces. You don't, you don't buy a new watch for your wife every uh, two years to replace her, uh, you know, her wedding ring, you know? Well, I heard this knocked around when it first came out and thinking about it more, it makes more sense. If you buy an 18 to 24 karat gold Apple watch, the cost that you pay for that, for the luxury of it and for the gold, is going to be way more expensive than the tech that's actually inside of it. So Apple may just have like an update and replacement plan where you just come in and they give you the new internals. They just pop the back off, put the new tech in, and then hand it back to you and say, thanks, enjoy the next couple of years with this. Yeah, I've heard that. But the same thing is like they're going to make it thinner eventually, right? I mean, I th- I believe they're going to try and keep it looking almost the same. Like I think they're really designing the look to be iconic and therefore they're not going to like give it different uh, sizes of uh, – or different shapes of uh, the screen or something. But it's going to look almost the same, I think, for at least a long time. But yeah. still, they're going to make it thinner, I think, because that's one of the big, like, really the only downside it has currently besides uh, the tech-related downsides. Like, physically, the only downside really is it's thick. And so, like, they're yeah. going to make it thinner, I would think. Probably. I wouldn't think everything would stay compatible. But here's the thing. Why... why- if, if it's fine at the current thickness level, again, I'd have to have it on my wrist to really determine that. Because the watch I wear currently, I'm a watch guy. My watch is pretty yeah. slim. So honestly, I'd probably get the smaller, you know, ladies one, the 38 millimeter one. Uh, so I'd have to mm-hmm. see what I would, would think of that in terms of the size of it. But why make it smaller when you could just instead put a bigger battery in and get better battery life? We're talking Apple. You do realize that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Apple is the, the company that makes desktops thinner, for Christ's sake. So they, they, it'll get thinner at some point, but they don't want it to get too thin that previous watchmans won't work with it. And again, you know, just use that existing space to fit more things inside of it. I think if they end up changing the shape of it, they'll change the shape of it because of an additional sensor or something along those lines. That's my right. thought. That's my thought process behind it. I think the most we can say, honestly, right now is just wait and see. I'm just waiting for the uh, Apple event where they actually announce the details of the Apple Watch. We'll get it any other any month now, uh, seeing that it's still on track to be released in April, according to Tim Cook. I think it'll take the place of like the the Apple announcement that you have with the first couple of iPads, where they had that announcement in March. I look for something in the first week of March, uh, which is hey, like next week or something like that. Yeah, we'll we'll know something within the next three weeks for sure. For yeah. Sure. So I'm I'm definitely be looking forward to that. Now there was also a really good piece uh, in the New Yorker about Jonathan Ive, Apple's resident uh, designer. That was a very very good piece. If you have a very nice long Sunday, and very good. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a great Sunday afternoon read. Uh, definitely take a look at that. Uh, that. It's good. It's really a good look inside of the person of Jonathan Ive. He's a pretty quiet guy. You know, he doesn't go on stage at Apple conferences and things along those lines. Impeccable British accent. He's still like saying aluminium, which is, <laughs> it's just fun to say. <laughs> aluminium. Always laugh. But uh, it's really cool. Take a look at that. I really enjoyed that piece. Uh, I really uh, did. Was there anything that really, really start, uh, stood out to you in it? Because I honestly, like, there's a lot of the look into Apple that we don't get very often that I was really interested in, in that piece. Like I understand more what makes Apple tick. And honestly, he is the core of the company now. Like people think Steve jobs is the core of the company and with him gone, they don't have the core and Oh, Tim cook apparently is doing okay. Well, yeah, Tim cook is, I I love what he's been doing with the company and I think he's been making it better. But honestly, it's very evident that Johnny Ive is the heart and soul of the company now. I'd say so. Uh, a couple of things that stood out to me. One is that the, devi- the design team is very small and they're all very close. That doesn't surprise me. It's just kind of reassuring to know in a sense. Uh, so it was cool to see that. The The second thing is how when you have a, an eye for design or something like that, how you know there's no way to turn it off. So you know, in, in the cars that he would look at, he could say, okay, this is good, this is bad. This is why this is good. This is why that's bad. So to, to have that discerning eye, 
I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, I'll occasionally notice things like that if I'm looking at, you know, like a clothing item someone's wearing, like, oh, that blazer doesn't fit very well. Uh, something right. along those lines. Just because you just learn to know what to look for. So to kind of see him acting with that, that was cool to me. He's like, this is this is how you know that this is someone who's been doing this for a while. He just kind of understands the do's and don'ts, uh, what's good, what's bad, what's superfluous, that type of thing. So it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I. I really liked that look at the small team that designs everything. And like you said, there's only been since they kind of started since uh, the uh, like reboot of Apple there's only been two people to leave and one was health related issues. They, they create this core team and it sounds like it's not just him and everyone's kind of designing whatever he says, almost how you saw it with jobs where you thought he's the only one who has ideas and everyone else just does what he says. But Johnny Ives is almost maybe still above everyone else, but he tries and makes sure as many of ideas as he has for the products they have. So like, you know, once he's gone, at least as long as they can keep that culture, they as well have that sense. And maybe, you know, his might be sharper, but they all understand to think like he does and what makes better products. The process that makes better products is something that he's taught and ingrained them. And it really seems like it's not just Johnny Ive sitting in there drawing the next iPhone and shipping it out, but it's really a team effort. And he's only one cog in this genius machine. So once he's gone, it's not just going to stop and the next Apple product's going to be you know, as good as Samsung's. So it really, it, re- it really makes me uh, happy to hear that. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have stuff. Uh, something else interesting, something else interesting is how, well, of course you always know they're ahead. So like, as soon as we see the iPhone six, they already have the success, if not the seven in their hands that they're working with. Um, but I like how they decide what makes a different iPhone, uh, the, the next iPhone ready. Because I've thought about this a lot. Every time I get a new iPhone, no matter how much I like the old one, the old one just feels old afterwards. And the thing is, that's not always true for all products. There's a lot of products out there where if you get the replacement, the old one can look equally still like nostalgic or well, or it still looks okay. This is just different. But they're not just changing things to be different. There's a lot of Android phones where each one, I'm like, I could get... uh, What? So can someone say Nintendo DS? Yeah. You know, each one might be an improvement, but a lot of times it's like, well, this one's just as good as that one in a sense. Like you could take it for design-wise DS Lite to the newest 3DS, you know? But, uh, and even a lot of Android phones I've seen, like I, I kind of like the HT, uh, HTC One look, but the thing is like, I, you know, it's not like one, it's not the latest one that stands out between all of them, but iPhones always look better the latest one. And it said in the article, there how they know an iPhone's ready to be released is that the old phones feel old. They don't feel different. They don't feel smaller. They don't feel thicker. It's that they feel old just looking and touching and interacting with them. And that's a really interesting way to look at it. Oh, yeah. I mean, every time I look at the 4, I remember when the 4 first came out, I was like, wow, this looks like really good. You know, we saw the leaks, and I was like, it's an interesting design, but holding it, it felt really nice. And then I felt the 5, and I was like, wow, why did they not think about this before? You know? That type of thing. Yeah. Uh, even it's with the 6. about progression. Yeah, it was fun to hear him kind of talk about the uh, camera bump on the 6 and how, yeah, that was yes. something that we had to do that he clearly wasn't very plussed about. He hates but, it. Uh, yeah. But even still, I think that may be fixed. I don't know if you can fix it just because of how optics work. Uh, we'll see if they can address that for the success, which I will be getting. Yeah, I could see the success going two ways. One, they make the camera even better, which means they have to keep the bump out. Or they the camera is exactly the same as it is on the 6, which means no visual improvements to the pictures it takes. But they might be able to make it thinner. And I don't know if they'll be able to make it flat thinner, but if they don't update the camera, I bet they could make it thinner. But then you're not having any camera improvements. You're just having... Oh, well, now there's not a bump. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, here's the thing. The camera isn't bad. It's a great camera. Everyone uses it. And you're going to run into the issue at some point to where there's just not much more you can do 
with the space constraints that you have. So just go ahead and work on trying to making it as thin as possible. Because right now, I think it's it's reached that good enough phase. You know, they're not making the home button any funner to press. The sleep-wake switch can't improve. It gets to a point where you've reached the maximum optimization of things. Like with the iPod, eventually you've already created the best iPod you can make. Uh, and I think and they're slowly them. reaching that point with the iPhone. Uh, it's not like the rapid improvement that you would get in smartphones between 2008 and 2011 where you're really seeing right. huge hardware increases. Because I agree. what people are doing don't require such an increase in computing power, save for maybe video games that you're playing on phones. That's about it. Those are the only things that are going to be able to really use those differences. Um, right. So I, I, I don't use the camera as much as a lot of people do. I think they could work on the front-facing camera since selfies are so popular. But with the, <laughs> the rear camera, that seems fine to me. So just work on making it thinner. Just do that. See, I, I use the camera every single day. I, I've been doing this Project 365 where I take a photo every single day this entire year of 2015. And what kind of what made me do it is because I've all I'm all I'm, I love video, I love cinematography, I love photography, um, I love photos. Uh, so and I've but I've never taken very many, mostly because it's like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with, with what I do day to day. And so right. with the when I got the iPhone six, that camera was good enough. It was close enough to my point and shoot that I don't have to carry around my camera all day. I can just point my phone at something and I'm happy with the photo it takes. It's not just a photo because it works like it was with the five, which was great for a uh, phone back then. But still, like you could really tell the difference between that photo and a photo from a point and shoot with a six. You can't. And so it has hit that level, but I still want to see it improve. And I do agree. The front camera does need to get better. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, I don't know. I have with the front flash yet because as many selfies as people take especially with apps like snapchat and things like that just just call it the front flash just just make it easy for everyone no. and then it would make a better no, 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 no. Life for people that do use that no 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 front facing flash that's that's a bad idea i didn't say it had to be it'd a good to- one it had to be the fancy true tone one but i mean it'd be nice <laughs> yeah it'd be nice. I don't, that's not, that's never going to happen something interesting again. about him taking Nah. Something interesting that uh, they brought up about um, him taking over the software team as well as the hardware. Uh, someone, not I've, but someone else commented on how as the iPad becomes more and more a piece of a glass, you know, more and more the design, like serious design that like they do on their products becomes software. Because when you have all this product and a screen with some apps on it, you know, the apps are less important on how they look, interact, and stuff. It's very, very important, but, you know, they're still, your eyes still catch on all the product. But if we take what they do to the iPad to its theoretical limits, eventually it's just going to be a piece of glass. You won't see design because you can't design a piece of glass. And so it's all there's going to be is the operating system. So it's really interesting how they're saying, like, with Johnny Ive in charge, it really is putting that same scrutiny on, uh, on, like, design aesthetics onto the OS as much as it is on the device when it's off. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes because as a, a heavy iPad user, there are some improvements that I'd like to see. It's gotten a lot better. The increased processing power on the Air 2 is fantastic. But uh, I'll certainly be on the lookout for any software updates they can make to the iPad. And I'd certainly like to see some most commonly used apps updated. I'm looking at you, Tweetbot, for iPad, which hasn't been updated. They say they're working on it. Yeah, but they've been working on it for forever. And iOS 8 is out and still looks like it belongs on iOS, like, 5. Okay, 6. Fine. iOS 6. I'll give it that. But it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Now, now it really, uh, to move back to... uh, Johnny Ive, it really seems that uh, the Apple Watch is his product. In fact, I'm surprised a bit that apparently in Apple itself, there was some resistance to doing the watch at first. And they really are, a lot of people see Apple as this, you know, oh, they're expensive. You know, they're only for rich people. You know, know, they're not actually for normal people. But Apple themselves believe that they make products for everybody, which I believe as well. And they are afraid 
with his Apple Watch that they're going to make a product that is for rich people only and that it's going to like create a chasm between the different uh, uh, Apple uh, consumers that uh, they don't want that. They want it to still be for everybody. Sure, there's one for the rich people, but the Apple Watch isn't like, oh, I only got an, you know, you only got an Apple Watch because I'm rich and uh, and look down on other people. And that's really interesting because I never really, I mean, I always thought that Apple was for everyone. Uh, but it's really nice to see that they think that too. Well, and I think that the way that they can go about making sure that that stereotype of them doesn't get strengthened by the Apple Watch is to not emphasize the edition version of the Apple Watch and really push that three forty nine price point. Really push it hard, and then and then make it clear to consumers why should you have this item? What will this add to your life? It will help you to be healthier. Well. It will help you to keep track of your health data and encourage you to be healthy, that type of thing. Make it useful for the for for everyday people. Make it useful for me as someone who enjoys wearing a watch. You know, I, I shouldn't feel like I'm downgrading in terms of my ability to tell the time if I get the Apple Watch. And it should be something that enhances my life as opposed to being another source of notifications because I've already got plenty of places for that. You know, so I shouldn't feel like, oh, my gosh, I feel inundated right now. I just want to take this watch off and just kind of be alone. I feel like it should leave me to be myself, but still feel like something that improves my my day to day experience. And that's going to be the hard part, getting that balance. So where it does improve your life and give you nice, uh, you know, make it useful, basically. But at the same time, keep it from being a hassle, keep it from. You wanting to get you know feel like you have to take off your watch to be alone. You ha- it has to be ready to do anything and show you anything, but at the same time not constantly be in your face. Which is kind of what I felt because I owned a Pebble, right? I kickstarted it and got one back when they uh back when they uh, released the very first model, and I liked it. Like there's some things I liked about it, but for the most part, well, first of all, it wasn't completely there. But then also. One of my problems with it was I just kind of always felt like it was always trying to grab for my attention. But then if I try to deactivate a bunch of stuff, it it then can't view anything because it isn't integrated as closely as an Apple Watch will be with the iPhone. So like it's like you got all or nothing, and I didn't want all, so I eventually sold it on eBay. Uh, but I'm really looking for the Apple Watch to have that perfect balance of being able to access any uh, information you want to see, but at the same time not constantly pushing itself into your life and i think the key for that is is for them to you know really emphasize the vip uh function in mail uh really increase the importance of favorite contacts so that way you'll get information from them and no one else and i really think it should be pull as opposed to push like if i want information from my watch let me seek it out in the fuse number of taps rather than it telling me or just maybe give me the subtle tap on the wrist but maybe not necessarily tell me what it is and then if i want to look for more information I can do that from a notification center type interface. Well, see, that's what I like because it sounds like they are because from what we've heard, it seems like, well, first of all, on the like on the uh, Pebble, if I got a notification, first of all, the screen would light up. It would be showing it even if it's facing someone else where they could see it. It lights up and shows it and also it vibrates like just like a cell phone vibrates real hard, loud. Other people can hear it if they're right next to me. Um, but with this Taptic engine, I just did air quotes, you can't see me, um, that Apple's came up with, supposedly, it's not vibrating, it doesn't make a bunch of noise, it literally feels almost like someone's just lightly tapping you. That's very non-intrusive. That's going to be nice as a way to let you know something wants your attention. Also, it sounds like the screen will not light up with information unless you're looking at it. You know, they're doing all that uh, all that uh, work on trying to make it so it just whenever you're looking at it, however the voodoo works for that, uh, that the screen will actually turn on. So um, if the screen isn't just automatically lighting up, and if it's not vibrating, if it's just doing some light tap, that might be unobtrusive enough for things that are trying to get your attention, that you can easily ignore them, that you're not bothering other people in a meeting, et cetera, et cetera. Well, for one, I'm looking forward to what that's going to look like. I'd like to certainly try one on as soon as possible and, get some thoughts out on it so we'll just have to wait and see like everyone else yep the final 
The final thing in uh, this Johnny Ive piece that I found interesting is how much he's really in charge of also taking care of uh, the new building that they are constructing, the uh, spaceship, the new campus. Like he, uh, he, like after all this crazy work that's stressing him out and, you know, he's, he's getting so tired, it seems, from the interview, he's still going out and overseeing the entire build of the new buildings. Like he's arguing... He's apparently there's not going to be corners in the building, like literally like the walls, you know, like in a like those white videos that they do, like where uh, like the floor just kind of slopes up to the uh, to the back wall. And so like there's no real corner. Apparently, the entire building is going to be like that. There's no corners in the new Apple campus. They literally just like slope. They could do they could do those Apple videos anywhere they wanted in the entire building. Like, that would be cool, and certainly in terms of cleaning, because dirt always seems to get in corners. Yeah. But the bad news is that then how would you put furniture up to the wall? I think it's just going to be a very slight curve. Like, it's not going to be, like, this huge this huge thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not going to be, like, I doubt it's going to be comical, but still, that there's no curve. That seems so novel to me. Also, apparently he was fighting over the people installing the elevator. He's he's trying to get them to simplify. He's trying to make a simplified uh, interface for the elevator. So apparently, Johnny Ive hates elevator controls. I mean, it's just a bunch of buttons. I don't see how complex it is when it's just buttons for floors. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's going to be an iPod click wheel. That'd be impressive. I know in Korea, uh, like for an elevator button, probably in other places too, except for America, it seems. If you accidentally press a button, like if you accidentally want to go to the, if you want to go to the fifth floor and you hit the fourth floor button, you just press the button again and it turns off. Maybe that's what he wants. And the elevator company says, no, that makes no sense. So who knows? We'll see. Who knows? We'll see. But I think that's all so, we got for you guys today. Yeah, that looks pretty much it. Uh, we'll probably have to... I wanted to hit Apple Car, but we are going a bit long. So maybe we can just leave that for next, for next time. time. Well, they'll probably have some more articles about that out by next week's time. Too. Yeah, everyone's talking about it this week. That'll give us some perspective, I suppose. Well, it's been good talking with you, uh, Lindsay. If you guys yeah. uh, want to, if you guys want to contact us, you can contact me, Matthew Wilson, at Twitter at mwil underscore cl. And if you all want to reach out to me and say hello, uh, my Twitter handle is ask underscore the doctor. And you can find the show notes or leave a uh, feedback via email on our website techdownsouth.wordpress.com, or you could tweet at the show itself at TDS underscore show on Twitter. Uh, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes or uh, your favorite podcast app. Any way you want to hear us, you can you can find us. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks. You all have a good week and we'll see you next week. See you next week.